Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome on this chilly morning. We are in Philippians chapter 1. We got through part of the prayer of Paul, which is verses 3 through 11, but we only got as far as verse 6. Philippians 1 verse 6, that was our final verse. And, and what a great verse it is. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For it says, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun the good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That completion until the day of Jesus Christ speaks of the rapture of the church. It's not speaking of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when the Lord comes and judges a Christ-rejecting world. The day of Christ is when He comes for His church, His bride. And I love that verse because it shows me that I can be confident that He's going to finish the good work. Not me. I can't finish the work in my own power. Only He can. He started the work. He's going to finish the work. And now I say that because how many times have we doubted our salvation? How many times have we doubted God's love? Well, God, if you love me, why is this happening to me? We live in a fallen world. You can't say, why is this happening? Look where we live. We're surrounded by people that don't know Jesus Christ, and all they know is to live for the world and live for the flesh. And because of it, this world suffers at the hands of humankind. But God says, I'm going to see you through it. He never promised us a smooth sailing during this world. In fact, He said, you're going to have much tribulation. Come to me, you'll have a lot of trouble. That's not really a seller, right? Because, see, the enemy on the other side, it says, do, do what you want, and I'll lay off of you. But Jesus says when you take a stand for him, the people are going to come after you. You become a target. But he says, don't worry. I'm going to finish the good work I started in you. That's good news. That means he's going to do it. That's by his grace. Not by our efforts. And that really upsets the legalist. Because the legalist will say, well, you guys, you Christians, you know that you, you're just so about greasy grace that you can just go out and sin and do whatever you want and that you're saved. God forbid. Because if I'm truly saved, I'm truly born again, I'm li going to live a transformed life. That my sin won't make me happy anymore. I don't want to live in my sin because though I can fail weekly, daily, every hour, it grieves me because I don't want to be like that. And I want the best for my Lord and Savior. And I want Him to smile when He looks at me because He sees me making an effort. But He says, listen, here's the great thing. I'm going to, number one, save you by grace. Number two, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Number three, I will provide the power for you to live a godly life. And number four, when you come to heaven, I'll reward you for what I did through you. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. And so he says, be confident this very thing that he that begun the good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me, verse 7, to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my chains, in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, that you are all partakers of, with me of grace, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And so he says, listen, you know, we, we are a family. We are a unit. We are all one together. We are to be unified. And when part of the body hurts, we all hurt. When part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. He's saying, listen, you guys are part of this with me. I'm, I'm in jail, but don't fret for me because the gospel's being furthered. 
And this is an awesome opportunity to uh, be able to share the gospel with the Praetorian guards and even Caesar. So he says, listen, God's got me here, but you are part of this through your prayers and through your giving. You are part of the work that's happening here. He says you can rejoice in that. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with affection of Jesus Christ. If you've got the King James Version, that word affection there is bowels. It, it speaks of in the bowels of Jesus Christ. That our real strongest feelings are like, you ever heard the term gut feeling? You know, I got a gut feeling about this. It's, it's not a mental thing. It's not a heart thing. It's like right here in the stomach. I've known people that have received bad news and they immediately throw up. You know, you can, you can have a, a nasty breakup with someone and you, you can't eat. But as soon as that, that relationship's restored, you're hungry. It all happens right here. And, and he's just saying, this is the deepest feelings that a person can have. And he goes, and I have those feelings for you. I long for you all with the affections of Jesus Christ. He says, verse 9, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, all judgment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. We want to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, and only the Holy Spirit can do that in our life. The fruits of righteousness, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. But in order to produce that fruit, you've got to yield yourself unto the Holy Spirit. He says he wants us to have all knowledge and judgment, discernment. He, he, what he's saying, listen, you can only have that through the Word of God, through prayer and the Word of God. You want to increase your knowledge in the Lord? Read the Bible. You want to increase your knowledge in the Lord? Talk to Him. Prayer and reading the Word is going to do that. This is what equips you for life. Everything's here. There's nothing new under the sun. He talks about us being sincere there. You saw that. That we're, we are to be sincere, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ. That you and I as believers should be sincere. That means genuine until the Lord comes for His church. Sincere means found pure when unfolded and examined by the Son's light. Does that describe you? See, that was a big term back in those days in Rome. There was a lot of artists, a lot of sculptors. They would make these statues. You've seen all those Roman statues and stuff like that. And when someone would come to buy a statue, they'd say, is it sincere? What did that mean? To them, was it without flaw? If it, was it without wax? What does that mean? Well, here's what would happen. So you would have a Roman sculptor. He's sculpting this statue. He's been working on it for three years, and he's tapping away, tapping away. All of a sudden, he sneezes, and, and he knocks the ear off. Oh. I've been working on this thing for three years. What am I going to do now? I still got to sell it. I put all this time into it. So what they would do is they would take some of the marble dust, mix it with wax, and put it back on. And then sell it. And people would say, well, is it sincere? Oh, absolutely. Is it without wax? Yes, it's without wax. And then they would get it home and they'd put it in their garden and on a hot Mediterranean day, all of a sudden the wax would be sliding down the neck and they'd come in and find it on the shoulder. What is he saying here? is that your Christian life would be without wax, without hypocrisy, not phony. So here's the question. 
Are you the same in church, out of church? We all just got challenged, didn't we? I would never curse in church. I would never tell dirty stories in church, but would you do it outside of church? I'm always sweet and kind in church, praying for people. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How are you, brother? How are you, sister? Am I like that out of church? See, because the thing is, is I really want to know what you're like out of church. Because that's what's going to make a difference in our community. Are you sincere and without wax? Are you filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God? We are to live in love. We are to live in peace. We are to live for Christ. That is what's important. Are you living for Jesus Christ? That's the real question. Do you know what your calling is? Is my question for you today. We've all been called. Every one of you have a calling. Have you answered the call? I realize the purpose for every believer is to preach the gospel and to be Christ-like. Every one of us, that's what we're called to do. But we all have a calling. Are you fulfilling your calling for Jesus Christ? Or are you fulfilling your calling for you? Because it can quickly slip into being all about me. I ain't much, but I'm all I think about. And I can get consumed with what I want so much to where I'm not seeing what God wants in my life, and then I become ineffective for His glory. Because now I'm seeking after my thing. And here's what happens. When you don't have your eyes on Jesus, you're going you're gonna to be destroyed every tough situation you have. He's going to tell us there in verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, these things that have happened to me. You can stop right there and go, okay, I want you to know these things that have happened to me. You know, you know what's happened to me? When I get in that place, and I understand we all have tough times. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to say when I take my eyes off of Jesus, I'm going to say, do you know what's happened to me? And every storm's going to crumble me and beat me down until I get my eyes back on Jesus. The whole purpose of this, this story, of the, today's message, I've entitled it to live as Christ. That's all Paul saw in his life. That's what kept him going. That was his motivation. You guys look at the record of Paul's ministry. I'll tell you what, we would have opted out first journey. Come with Pastor Steve. Stay in a nice hotel. We'll go to the Philippines. We'll just love on children. Or you could go with Paul, get beaten, thrown in jail, threatened for your life, in shipwreck, in perils of water, in perils of men, in perils of your own countrymen. Everybody's going to want to kill you, but we'll lead people to Christ. Which ministry are you going to sign up for? But see, God has to put you in an uncomfortable situation to reach people that are uncomfortable. To reach people that you don't want to talk to. Think of somebody right now in your head that you don't care if you'd ever see them again. 
God wants you to go talk to him about Jesus. He does. That just came to me. You're not going to squirm out of this one. Life is not easy. He never promised it would be. But we need to sincerely give our life to Christ. We need to stop looking at our situation as this big bummer and collapsing and becoming depressed. God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to get into the storm and see His vision for the situation that you're in. And if you kept your eyes on Jesus during the storm, you're going to fulfill God's will and you're going to see the fruit that comes out of it. Because why? Because He put you in this storm because you wouldn't go there on your own so you could reach people that you wouldn't reach normally. Are you ready for that? But what happens so many times when we get in the storm, when we get in the fiery trial, what do we do? We start screaming and kicking. Or is that just me? Start screaming and kicking, Lord, get me out of the fire, get me out of the fire, get me out of the fire, rather than, okay, what do you want me to do in this fire? Is there someone to rescue? Is there anybody else in this fire? Is there someone else in this storm? Is there a purpose? Are you looking at all your storms as, is there a purpose? Because I'm going to tell you right now, as a child of God, there's a purpose. But if we get our eyes off Jesus, all we see is our storm, and then we can't see Jesus. Our storm becomes so big, I can't see God. You need to turn that thing around and make your God so big you can't see your storm. Don't go screaming to your storm that you're all alone. Because you're not. Don't go screaming to God how big your storm is, but cry out to your storm how big God is. Paul went through storm after storm, trial after trial. He's in prison right now, and he's rejoicing. Hello. Would that describe you? He's rejoicing. Why? Praetorian guards are getting saved. He's got an opportunity with Caesar. He understands his calling. What's his calling? Preach the gospel. Be Christ-like. But his calling is, you're going to Rome, right? And he loves it, so he's not worried. He understands what his calling is, and he's going for it, because for for Paul, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What does that tell you? You can stop right there and look at that. What what, What is, to live is surfing. To live is my career. To live is fortune and fame. To live, put whatever you want right there, but if you put something other than Christ, you've missed it. See, Paul knew that wherever he was going to go, he was going to preach the gospel, right? What was, what was Paul doing all the time? Preaching the gospel. What happened when he got thrown in prison? Preach the gospel. What happens if he gets out of prison? He'll preach the gospel. Does that describe you? He had his priorities straight. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Wow! That's when you start to get the right perspective. When you can look at your storm and go, wow, this is going to turn out for good. I can just feel it. That's why Paul could say, I glory in tribulation. 
because he knew if he was coming into a tough situation, God had something for him and for others. So he wasn't like afraid of the storm. He was like, this is going to be good. Let's hang on. Woo! I hope one day I'm there. Because we've had a number of storms in the last year. And in those storms, sometimes we forget the beauty of what God's done. We forget how many people have been saved in the last year and a half. We, we forget how, how much God has accomplished in the last year and a half, and we focus on the tragedies. We need to flip that whole thing around. Paul says, my, what's happened to me right now is furthering the gospel. He's saying that because, you know why? Because he's not in Philippi. And because he's in prison, now people are going to step up to the plate. That's what it's all about, growing. Are you growing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your calling, your ministry, are you doing more this year than you were last year? There should be some growth. He says, so my being in here is actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Even the guards were looking at him going, this guy's not a criminal. They were chained to him for six hours. Can you imagine? Paul didn't look like a prisoner of Rome. He said, I was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not chained to Rome. They're chained to me. I've got a captive audience. I'm going to give the gospel six hours. I'm going to put this guy through. Imagine that guy coming out and going, oh, man, you're next. Oh, man, he's going to give you the gospel. And the other guy's going to go, I know. I got saved yesterday. I can't wait. He turned a tragedy into a good thing. He said, these guards, it was evident that I wasn't there because of, I was a criminal. These guys were looking at Paul going, this guy's not a criminal. You know who this guy is? This guy's famous. You guys remember when that whole outbreak, that riot, that uproar happened in Jerusalem, and then you heard they had to let the guy down in a basket so he could escape so they didn't kill him? That's the guy. You remember when our freighter was coming to Rome and it shipwrecked at Malta? And we lost everything and people almost died. But, but, but this one guy said, we're not going to die. The Lord spoke. That's the guy. And then you heard about when they, this out, uproar broke out, a full riot in Jerusalem. They almost destroyed, destroyed the whole temple because they wanted to kill this guy. And, the, and the, the guards had to take him and escort him with a couple of hundred soldiers all the way down to Caesar. This is the guy. And it was clear to them, the guards and everybody else, that he was a prisoner of Christ and not a prisoner of Rome. That's a pretty awesome thing to think about. He says in verse 14, And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my change, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. <laughs> It caused people to rise up. It caused people to step it up. Have you been praying, God, give me more, but then are afraid to step forward when He gives you more? 
Paul says, this has all happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel. God wanted guards to be saved. Paul never would have been able to share the gospel to the guards or Caesar unless he was thrown in prison. Think about it. Here's God. Gosh, I want those Praetorian guards to be saved. I want Caesar to hear the gospel. I know. I'll send my servant Paul, have him arrested and thrown in prison. That's a great plan. I would be like, no, you, there's another way. You just send me on El Al or Lafonza and I'll get there. And then I'll just show up and preach the gospel. No, it wouldn't work. God knows what he's doing, even in the storm. See, what we need to understand is that terrible situations bring forth fruit. But you don't see it in the situation, right? But when it's all done, you go, oh, that's what you were doing, Lord. How many times have we done that? Oh, that's what, oh, oh. I knew it. Terrible situations bring forth fruit. You think about, remember when we had the huge storm and the North Shore was cut off? Wainiha, Hyena, cut off. You couldn't go in and out. Everything cut off. We had to get in with boats and helicopters to bring supplies and goods. It looked like a bomb went off out there. Houses were destroyed. Cars flipped up. Houses floating in the river, floating in the ocean. Everybody's life turned upside down. Horrible. But you know what happened? People got saved. In the midst of a disaster, no one died up there. Except I think one guy who tried to chance him going across the river and shouldn't have done it. But their houses got wiped out. Their livelihoods got wiped out. They were isolated. They were cut off from everybody. But in the midst of that, we were headed out there with the Samaritan's Purse guys and working with them and loving on people and helping them. We were seeing people get saved. They asked if we could start a church out there. We started a church out there. We would finish services here and then all pack it in. Remember that? U-turn guys and Uncle Russell, who's gone to be with the Lord. He would be my co-pilot every week. We'd go out there. And anywhere from 30 to 50 to 60 people would show up. And they'd listen to the gospel. And we were in the book of Acts. And we saw people every week get saved. We did three baptisms. And at the end of six months, the roads were opened up. It was amazing. In the midst of a trial... We had every kind of person you can imagine there. We had, we had the good, the bad, and the ugly. We had good people. We had criminals. We had drug addicts. We had alcoholics. We had homosexuals, lesbians, transvestites. And you know what we did? We just loved on them and gave them the word of God, and they got saved. They came as they were. They received Jesus. We catch them. God cleans them, not me. I don't clean anybody. I make a lousy Holy Spirit. Well, that was the fruit we saw in a terrible storm. I think about Bethany Hamilton. I remember the day that she was attacked. We were all having a prayer meeting, singing songs. It was October 31st. We heard she got attacked by a shark, and we all rushed to the hospital. There was about 50 of us down there praying. And one of the first things this little girl said was, I thank God this happened to me, so now I can tell people about Jesus. So I was like, 
I quit as a pastor. <laughs> Hanging out with her, talking with her, surfing with her with one arm. She charges bigger waves than I can catch, and she, she does it with one arm. I'm like slapping at the water, trying to get down the face, kicking and screaming, and then I do a cartwheel, and she just goes. <laughs> you can't tell me that's not God. It's impossible. But nothing's impossible with God. I asked her one time, do you wish things were different? You know what she said to me? She says, no. I wouldn't change a thing that's happened. This happened unto good so that she could reach so many people. And look how many people she's reached. She's been on TV. She's met leaders and powers and able to give her testimony, the wealthy people of Hollywood on their shows and sharing her testimony. She's getting the gospel out. She's got a ministry for handicapped people to, to encourage them that you can do anything. And I mean, what can you say? I can't do that. I'm missing a limb. She's like, hello? Taking off at Jaws and Piahi on Maui on 50-foot waves with one arm. Hello? All things are possible through Christ. What a testimony. She could only say she wouldn't change a thing because she understood her calling. She understood that this thing that happened to her was going to be to the working for the good of the glory of God. And now it's evident, like, like it was evident to the guards why Paul was there because of Christ. It was evident to all of us that God allowed this thing to happen to Bethany. He allowed this thing to happen to Wainiha. <coughs> For a purpose. You know, it's evident to me why he shut down the North Shore and Wainiha and Hyena. You know why? I got the answer, and I know it's true. He shut down Wainiha and Hyena so every single person that lived out there would get the gospel. And I know for a fact that every single person that lived out there got the gospel. We went with our groups, with Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham, Will Graham, our whole teams. We went to every single house and shared the love of God. You say, yeah, but it was a big tragedy. People lost their homes. Oh, yeah, here's the goodness of God. They got their homes rebuilt for free. And they got the gospel. They felt God love on them, bringing appliances and medical needs and foods and supplies and rebuilding. Gave them a brand new home, better than what they had. And people got saved. Terrible situations bring forth fruit. Even in the loss of a loved one. We've all lost a loved one. But here's the good news. When you lose a loved one in Christ, there's a reunion. You're going to see him again, amen? Not only that, I have never done a funeral where I haven't been giving the gospel at the funeral. And at the funeral, I've seen people get saved at the funeral, at every funeral. Sometimes even 40, 50, 60 people. And then you can rejoice in this situation. Oh, I lost a loved one. Oh, it hurts. Lord, I don't understand. But God's saying, look, 50 people got saved. No greater love than a man laid down his life for a friend.
I think of my, my brother Jay, who's, who's he's not here right now. Um, probably be here next service, but I hope he doesn't mind I talk about him. He's dying of cancer. He's been battling for a long time. He's in those last days. But I've been watching the Lord Jesus Christ preparing him for such a day. And I've watched his life change radically in the last few weeks. This, this overwhelming joy. He knows where he's going. He's ready. He's excited. And in it, he's got joy even in the midst of his pain. He's laughing. He's funny. He's witty. He's upping his game. He's telling people about Jesus. He's doing it with a smile and it's affecting people because they know he doesn't have much time. He's hitting on girls left and right and getting their phone numbers. He's like a little suave Rico right now. I've never seen him like this. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's not so he can hit on them. He's asking them to come to church with him. And he's getting their numbers. They're like, yeah, I want to, oh, yeah. You know why? He has confidence right now. He knows where he's going. He knows who he believes in. He's able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. He's got that confidence. He's at a place where there's only a few days. His days are numbered, so it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter if anybody rejects me. Nothing matters anymore. But Jesus... To live is Christ, to die is gain. He's got that in his head, and, and his mission is like never before. He is such an encouragement to me because he's given it his all right now. We were out to dinner the other night on Thursday night. We, 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 we went out to dinner with Jay and his sister, my wife, uh, Mike and Ann Pierce, Pastor Mike, and we all had just had this wonderful night together in fellowship. We went to Gaylord's. I never ate there. It's on the other side of the world. I was there from 7 till 10.30. We had a three and a half hour dinner. Now, if you guys know me, that was amazing for me to even be lasting that long, right? But it was awesome. It was fellowship. It was, we were laughing. We were joking. We were talking about old times. We were talking about Jesus. We were, we were encouraging him, and he was encouraging us. He was on his game. He was just joking. He was witty. He, had this, just, he has this beautiful smile. And then also he starts hitting on the waitress. And he's like talking to the waitress, and she, you know, like she's leaning in and listening. And she's like, oh, and he's like, oh. I'm like, what, what is going on? Next thing you know, she's like, oh, I'll give you my number. And she's writing it down. She's handing him her number. He said, I want to take you to church. She says, I want to go to church. Here's my number. It was amazing to watch him able to minister like i've never seen him minister before i mean it's like it's 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 god it's god paul's in prison he's rejoicing why because god's got a plan jay's on his last few days with cancer but god's got a plan even in his last few days because he's talking to all of his nurses all of his doctors all of his care workers all of his social workers everybody he comes in contact with everywhere he goes and people being affected seeing the joy that he has knowing that he only has a few more days so paul says listen what's happening to me is turned out to the furtherance of the gospel can you say that Look at verse 14. 
And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preaches Christ from selfish ambition and not sincerely, supposing to add afflictions to my chains, but the, the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then only, that in every way, whether it's in pretense or truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. That's a great statement. They're like, Paul, Paul, these guys are they're, 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 they're doing things with the wrong motives. Paul, they're, they're preaching out of envy and strife. It's self-ambition. They want fame. They want glory. They want the money. They want the attention. Paul, these guys are they're doing things and, and they're treating you like, you know, they're, they're, like this is against you. They're trying to show you that they're going to take your people to add afflictions to your bonds. And Paul's like, I don't care. I didn't do anything. It was God that did it all. See, they wanted his fame. They wanted his glory. Some of them were preaching with selfish ambitions. They're like, that Paul, man, he had such a following. He was famous. We want some of that. I'm a little jealous. They're a little envious. That's what it says. They're jealous and envious. Oh, he's in jail right now. Let's scoop up his people. Paul's like, that's cool. They're not my people. <laughs> yeah, but Paul, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Doesn't matter. As long as they're preaching Christ. See, if they weren't preaching true doctrine, he would have said, oh, they're not teaching right doctrine. Beware of them. He doesn't say that. These guys were actually preaching the right doctrine. They were preaching the true gospel. But they didn't have the right heart, the right motive. You ever seen anybody like that? They were kind of like, you know, um, oh, yeah, well, you know, let me show you. Oh, yeah, Paul's not around, but let, let me show you. You know, here's what God showed me. And Paul doesn't know about this. So by the way, let me just tell you about this and I'll give you the gospel and all. That's brought to you by me. Here's my card. And unfortunately, we see that in ministry today. Some have wrong motives. I used to get so upset watching TBN. There's some good stuff on there. Don't get me wrong. But I just saw the folly. I saw, I saw these people out there just fleecing the flock. I saw these people, I saw they were trying to draw attention to themselves. These fake healing ministries where the guy's like swinging coats over his head and whoo, the whole crowd gets healed and, and then he's smacking people on the forehead. They're dropping down. They're like, I'm healed. And he's, and he's, and, and he's just doing all this stuff and, and I'm going, is that real? Is that really what's going on? Is that true? And then I found out one year I was in Israel and this guy came with a whole entourage in Israel, a bunch of people, and he was doing his crusade like down in Tel Aviv and there all these people got saved and pulled out of wheelchairs and then he went to the Sea of Galilee and he did the same thing and the same people got healed and then he went to Jerusalem, he did the same thing and the same people got healed and guys that were good friends of mine that were guides told me this. He's putting plants in the audience. For what? For popularity. For gain. I used to get really upset. And when I watch a program on TBN and I see somebody talk five minutes about Jesus and 20 minutes about your wallet, I was like, time to change the channel. When I hear of pastors that are making 15, 20, $30 million a year, there's a problem there. 
And I remember the last time I taught Philippians in this church, I don't know, 10 years ago, all of a sudden it hit me. God says, what do you care? Christ is being preached. Oh, yeah. See, my heart and my motives is between me and the Lord. But if I teach the word of God, it won't come back void. So even if the motives of a teacher aren't right, they're for fame, for glory, for money, for power. Paul's saying, who cares? Christ is being preached. People are getting saved. That's how powerful the word is. You kidding me? I remember Pastor Joe telling a story about a guy who wasn't saved and his wife was saved and she was praying for him all the time and, and they had one car and he'd drop her off at church and, and just go and grumble because she was always like picking at him like, you know, you know, you need to get saved, you need to get saved, it's heaven or hell, you're going to go one place or the other, you don't want to burn, you want to go, God's provided everything for you, he died for you, all this, and he was just like, ah, blah, stop it. And he drops her off at a Wednesday night Bible study and he goes to the bar and he starts popping drinks back and doing shots. He's sitting next to this guy who's all bummed out. His wife just left him, but he didn't know that. And this guy's like grumbling, and another shot, and I can't, you know. And the guy goes, hey, what's, you all right? He's like, oh, my wife, she's one of those Christians. She's always telling me I need Jesus. Just dropped her off at Bible study. I'm just going to throw back a few and go pick her up and bring her home. She's always telling me I need to be saved. Jesus died on the cross for me paid for my sins, was resurrected on the third day. And if I give my life to him, then I'll be born again. And this guy listening, he doesn't know that he just, his wife just left him. And he's listening, he's going, really, Jesus did all that for, for us? And he's like, yeah, that's what she says. And he's over here getting saved. This guy's preaching in contention. And Paul says, thank God Christ is being preached. But I, I guess the most exciting is when people preach with the right intentions. Paul says, knowing that I am appointed for my defense of the gospel, verse 17, he makes light that he knows his purpose. Do you know your purpose? The purpose of the believer in this world is to preach the gospel and be Christ-like, to answer the calling of God that he has given to each one of us. Paul knew his calling. How do I know? Acts chapter 9, verse 15 says this. The Lord speaking to Ananias about Paul says, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. See, because Paul knew his calling, he was able to endure tremendous hardship for the sake of his king because he realized all that Christ had done for him. Have you realized that? You know why we're prone to quitting in pain and in sorrow and hardship? It's because we really don't know our calling. Because if you knew your calling, you wouldn't quit. You'd fight for it. How do I know? Watch this. Paul, 
These religious leaders, they, they want to kill you. Oh, that can't happen. I still got to set up churches in Asia. Paul, the ship's going down. We're all going to die. Nah, no worries. I still got to go to Rome. Paul, these religious leaders, they want your head. They want you dead. It's okay. I haven't been to Europe yet. When we understand our calling, your current situation won't matter. Because God has you right where you're supposed to be for now, for a purpose. So the question is, can you see past your circumstance? And see God working. In Acts 20, verse 22, it says this about Paul. I see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing these things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Isn't that powerful? That's amazing. He says in verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for the deliverance, my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my life, in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says that whether I live or I die, his only desire is that Christ would be magnified. What does that mean? You ever used a magnifying glass to look at ants or something when you were little or to, to you know, look at the fine print <laughs> or a telescope to look at the moon? When you're looking at the moon, did the moon actually get bigger? No, it just got bigger to you. It got magnified to you. How is Jesus Christ magnified in our life? Through his word. The more you know this word, the more you see Jesus for who he really is. Oh my goodness, right? How many times you guys can testify? You read a verse over, 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 hundreds of times, and all of a sudden on the 150th time, all of a sudden you go, what? I never saw that. Holy Spirit magnified that. That no matter what you go through in life, no matter what your circumstances, stop looking at the circumstance and look up. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if you switch that to live is something else other than Christ, you've missed it. Yeah, but Steve, what about my family? What about your family? Love your family. Take care of your family. Train, train up your kids in the ways of the Lord so when they're old they don't depart. I get all that. That's, but Christ has to be your focus. Jesus is number one. Spouse second, then kids. Hello, there's an order. And if you put Christ first, guess what? Everything else works itself out. If you switch up the order, it all gets messed up. Because to live is Christ. 
To die is gain. I think about Jay. He is, he is on his game right now. I mean, I am taking notes because I'm thinking to myself, this is how I want to be every day. Look at him. He's reaching all kinds of people. And it, it is so pure. And it's so, it's, so, it's so amazing that people are responding. He's not worried about rejection. It's all sincere. He's got this big, beautiful smile. His eyes look like those eyes um, of that little cat on Shrek, you know, Puss in Boots, where they just go, you know, they get all big. He's just got those, ah, Jesus, and they're like, oh, here's my number. He knows he's going to see his maker soon. He knows this. And he got it. And he's gotten it more and more in these last months. And that's, praise God. He's understanding right now more than anything to live as Christ. Because to die is gain. We don't fear death. We just fear how we're going to die. Don't want to be eaten by a shark. Don't want to be mauled by a bear. Don't want to be tortured by Islamic terrorists, right? But you and I know this. That as soon as we close our eyes to this world and give our last breath and the light goes out, all of a sudden it opens back up and Jesus is standing right in front of us, the light of the world. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of your great promises, Lord. Lord, help us to see what you really have for us. Lord, help us to submit ourselves to be used by you to trust you, even in the storm, Lord God, to look around and see that you have something for us. If we just yield ourselves to you and embrace the storm because you have our hand, you didn't leave us, you didn't forsake us, but you're walking through the storm with us. So Lord, help us to preach the gospel and to be Christ-like. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys.